Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody, Mark and Steve on the PBSE podcast. Uh, we had one of our PBSE listeners uh, reach out with a question through to uh, reach out with a question to us. Uh, this is episode 184, by the way. And I'm going to read real quick what was sent in to us. Uh, I will say right up front, this is more common than we could possibly begin to describe. <laughs> so Steve yes. and I have absolutely experienced this. Uh, but here's here's how how it was described, and this is what was uh, just to uh, sent into us by a partner who is struggling with uh, a, a partner who is in addiction, and she of course is struggling with the heavy burden of betrayal trauma, and she says, uh, "My husband acts out uh, in his addiction, and then completely turns inward about how awful a person he is." And then in turn, I feel like he pushes me away. How do I, as a partner in betrayal, react to this? His silence and ignoring me makes me so angry. I know that the opposite of addiction is connection. And my husband has actually said that to me as well. How are we supposed to connect when he is so self-absorbed in his own shame? Wow. Yeah. It's uh, resonated to my past. Oh, gosh. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so before we get into this, I guess we we could answer the question right now, and then we'll expand on the answer and the solution to it. Because the answer is, you know, to how are we supposed to connect when he is so self-absorbed in his, shame, in his own shame? It's really simple. He can't. No, you can't. He can't. Um, shame, I would argue, is one of the most inner interacting i guess you could call it not interacting but interacting meaning acting within one one's own internal self uh actions that we can take in in life 
right? It is an activity that we completely engage in uh, with ourselves. Sometimes we will hear terminology like, like for example, well, that, that person shamed me. Shame is an internal response. People yep. may say things that are shaming or that we recognize as shaming, but but that that in that internal response is just that, right? It's an internal response. It's not something that anybody forces onto us, right? Well, um, and we and, and so this person said the opposite of addiction is connection. We could mm-hmm. also say the opposite of shame is connection. Sure. Because shame, shame is an isolating, disconnecting emotion and state of mind. If I go to shame, I close myself off, not just from others, but I close myself off from me, from my higher self. I close myself off from my true higher power, right? Shame is an incredibly isolating and disconnecting place to go. And, you know, Steve, you and I, when we work with clients, will often say, as soon as you go to shame, learning ceases and connection ceases. Yeah, absolutely. So true. Absolutely. And so we we do definitely empathize with this couple, you know, because this is a really common issue, Mark, Mark, as he indicated, you know, we can both, we've both been this guy, we've both been this husband, um, and, oh, yeah. and we will totally own that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and when you're talking, especially in this world of addiction recovery, you know, shame is such a prevalent feature for the guys that we work with, um, for all the reasons that we talk about on the podcast all the time, right? Ranging from societal to spiritual to, you know, just the taboo nature of, of the topic of sex and conservative circles, all that stuff. And so there is a lot of shame attached to this to this compulsion, to this addiction, to this issue. Uh, we would argue definitely more so than almost any other in some respects. I would agree. Yeah. So. And, and if we were to, uh, there's probably some people saying, well, what is shame? And if we were to attach a simple definition to it, mm-hmm. I would say that shame is an identity. I am a loser. I am a piece of crap. I'm I'm a worthless addict. Listen to I am a mistake. Word. I'm a mistake. I'll never get better. You should leave me because I'm never going to make you happy. Listen to the I. I am, I am, I am. That's shame. It's an identity versus versus making mistakes, saying I've done X, Y, or Z. Right. Or, the, or things that we identify as attributes versus identities. Right. Yeah. So um, things that we have done, right? Yeah. So I've made a mistake or I need to course correct or whatever the case is. Right. So and we shame, yeah, shame says I am a mistake. Yeah, I'm I am the problem and these things that are happening in my world are just evidence of that. Yes. Right? They're they're just evidence of of the, the the breadcrumbs to the loaf of dysfunctionality that makes me up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, exactly. So yeah, absolutely. That's a great 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 uh great uh, definition. And you know, in connection with in a marriage, you know, obvi- you know, intimate communication is critical to any relationship that that has any sort of substance, be it a romantic one or or not. And we all, everybody, when we enter into any communication with another person, we all have authentic needs and wants. Um, from a variety of sources, the problem is, is that many of us, and we're talking about this, by the way, right now, we're, we're, we're starting last month in, Dare, in our Dare to Connect program for addicts, spouses, and couples, we, we covered codependency as a whole. And that a month was barely enough time to oh do my like gosh. an overview. Right. The whole spectrum of codependency stretching all the way to toxic independence. Yep. We barely scratched the surface over an entire month, 24 hours of content. Yes. See, but what so a, much so, right? That we now we've we've moved into this next month here in, in here we are in the month of July. 
And we are now focusing on kind of a sub element within uh, within that, uh, where we focus on dysfunctional elements of communication um, that that show up uh, in codependent relationships. And it's very, you know, all of us we learn what for better or worse from a variety of sources from before we can even walk and talk how to engage with other people, mm-hmm. right? How to have needs met, how to express what those are, how to not. And there are a variety of dysfunctional tactics that we all employ that are far too myriad to talk about here, many of them drama-based, that we that we will engage in as a way to try to have authentic needs and wants met through very inauthentic means, <laughs> right, or well, methodologies. And I, and I love you said that because what happens often, like with this description of this husband who acts out and then he goes stoic and self-absorbed and shameful it would be easy to vilify him. Sure. You yeah. just immediately say, yeah, you know, he's, he's all screwed up. It's, you know, he's, he's hopeless. Or he's lazy or he just doesn't want to talk or yeah. you know, whatever the case may yeah. be. Yeah. We just, we kind of demonize it, but it's very important to realize these kinds of behaviors, they always come from a, a place of authentic need. Yes. I have needs and I, and I want to have them met, but Growing up, the way I was raised with my family of origin, my peers, my culture, my religion, I had needs and I found that they often were not met because the people around me were dysfunctional and had their struggles and had their issues. Yeah. And so I watched, I watched their dysfunctional strategies on how to get those needs met because the healthy ways didn't work or nobody even yeah. showed me how to do it healthy. So we observe how this strategy, like going to shame and going stoic and going silent, what is that? It's a learned strategy that says, here's how you get your needs met. And so it's, uh, we encourage everybody not to vilify this immediately, but to go, wow, what is this really about under the surface? Why would somebody go stoic and silent and moody and shameful? Yeah. Because they have legitimate needs they're trying to meet. Well, and something else that's important, and, and we are covering this again right now in our Dare to Connect program, is is that one of the reasons why we will engage in these inauthentic ways of communicating or trying to get needs met is is because of a, a sense of conflict avoidance. Oh, my gosh. Right? We're trying to have these things met, but in situations where uh, conflict might be necessary, we will employ all sorts of tactics in order to avoid that. And, and because, and, and again, it go. what does that hail from that hails back to what Mark was just indicating, right? We, Mark and I were talking about just before on this program, you know, we both identify as Christian. We both grew up in faith traditions where doctrinally it was perfectly fine to question stuff. Sure. You can ask God questions. You can ask your church, you know, your church leader questions culturally. That just meant you were weak. That meant that you didn't know what you were doing. That meant that, you know, you, you needed to pray more or whatever more. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was a the, deficit. <laughs> and there was, there was even statements in the culture that said, well, you know, conflict is of the devil, right? Sure. Absolutely. Right? Or, or, or if you disagree, where's your faith? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with you? Yeah. So it was labeled as a, so this idea of, of conflict was, was labeled as, as something to be undesired, a characteristic to be avoided. When the reality is, is that intimate and and this is we don't do ultimatums a lot here on the podcast, but here's one for everybody. Conflict is a necessary requirement in intimate relationships if they are to thrive and function. Oh, wait, Steve, hold on just a second there. 
Wait, dun, what? Dun, dun. <laughs> Conflict is a necessary element for yes. connected relationships? Yes. Holy crap. I, I avoided conflict at all costs. I would rather die than have conflict. Yeah. In my past. For sure. I, oh I used God. to do the same thing, right? And the and now, now that means that now it, keep in mind, that doesn't mean that it happens all the time, nor does that mean that it has to look like, and this is the most important part, the way that we always think of conflict. Yes. Right? Conflict does not kill relationships. We talk about this in Dare to Connect all the time too. Conflict doesn't kill a marriage. My, me and my wife, we disagree a fair amount of the time. It's how you disagree, right, that determines whether conflict is a toxic experience and a and a and a distancing one, or whether it's a positive experience. Yeah, are have, you are you having collaborative conflict where you have remained friends, or has it become contentious enemies pairing off against each other? Yeah. Yeah. And you uh -huh. see this dynamic present in the question that was asked, right? Because another way of phrasing this question would be a wife saying, I don't know what to do. Every time I confront him with something, he shuts down. Mm. Every time conflict is even remotely on the horizon and it's anything other than I love you. You're amazing. Let's go have sex right now. He shuts off, right? He turns, he, he shuts down. He or if he's if he's acted out in his addiction and created betrayal again, and I show any kind of, you know, being impacted or upset or yes. wounded by that, he just disappears because mm -hmm. it's because it's conflict. And so I can't I can't have dialogue right because again that is a necessary part of a relationship. We won't always agree on things, but but those of us who grew up in households or backgrounds or had you know, again, relationship styles modeled to us that were less than healthy. Again, we'll go to all these crazy, sometimes really unrealistic means. We won't get into those today. Uh, we'd love to, if you want to join us for our Dare to Connect program for Addicts, Houses, and Couples, <laughs> 25 hours of content a month. And uh, for a low locked-in rate, we'd love to have you come join us. Check out the trial at, at uh, a two-week free trial at daretoconnectnow.com. We'd love to get that to you. Um, so there's our shameless plug. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but we do, we will employ these really creative means and methodologies, especially in addiction recovery as a way to avoid that. And so, um, but, but so how, so the question becomes right, not how do we avoid the conflict? The question becomes, you know, how do we, how do we identify the issue and then, and then come up with, and, and come up with a, a way to address it. And well, so we wanted to, oh yeah, go ahead. Here's the thing that a lot of people won't ask. Well, you just shouldn't be in victim mode. Stop being a victim. Mm, sure. Our question is, well, hold on a second. There must be a benefit to being a victim or I wouldn't do it. Yeah. So why would a guy, especially a guy struggling with addiction, why would he go into victim mode, stoic mode, silent mode, close off mode? What does that do for him? By the way, this victim mode that we're talking about, I don't think we mentioned this as one of three primary dysfunctional roles of communicating and showing up in, in, in these relationships to have needs met. Uh, that, uh, that that we're talking about right now on the DDC program. So just so you know, that's yeah. That's this is just one of three. Yeah. Yes, uh, but, but yeah, to answer that question, right? There are lots of advantages to the victim role, and Mark and I, as expert former victims, <laughs> can definitely attest to all of them. Oh yeah, we could tell you the advantages. Uh, the first one is that it, it is a very convenient way to abscond accountability, right? For in various scenarios. If I, uh, I will sometimes when we're in, when we're in D to C with our clients on, on, on a session, like for example, today's was, was a couple session. We, we oftentimes will refer to vic the victim role as Eeyore mode, right? Eeyore. It's sort of a reference to Winnie the Pooh. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we all know Eeyore, right? Don't bother. It's fine. 
I'll be okay. It's if not going to work out me, anyway. I'll just be crying in the corner over there. <laughs> right. Like there's always, you know, there are these, and then that Eeyore mode, right. Is this place of I I'm, I'm powerless, but not in a 12 step healthy way, terminology way. I am powerless. Meaning I am, I am incapable of facilitating any sort of change. And so I am turning over the reins of any sort of change in the situation to someone else. Someone else needs to come along and fix this, whether that means pick me up and dust me off and tell me I'm okay, whether that means rescue me from my dysfunctionality and from my bad behaviors or choices, whether that, you know, the list just goes on and on, but the, but that victim role very much comes from a place of, I just can't do it or it's not possible. So I'm just not going to try. Well, and let's talk about why we would go to such a hopeless, helpless place. I can tell you why I would go into victim mode to get a, to get out of accountability because I had tried to overcome my addiction myself a thousand times and I had failed a thousand times. Yes. So I was like, I'm screwed. This, I'm never going to get out of this. So I might as well just go into woe is me. Might as well resolve myself to this. That was Absolutely. a big reason. I was so tired of failure, trying and failing that I, that that was a reason I would go to victim mode. I would just give up, throw my hands in the air. Yep. Mm. That's it. Right. Totally. And then, like you said, seeking for others to provide the validation, the self-worth, right? Because my addiction and my failure and my shame said inside of me, I, I am worthless. I am hopeless. I, am, I don't have the skill set or I'm not employing the skill sets to cultivate self-worth internally. Yeah, I don't know how to do it. So I got to look outward. Yeah. Yep. It's another reason for going into that because you're looking to be rescued. You're looking to be validated. And how do you do that? You 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 put on the victim role so someone who is a naturally a nurturer or a rescuer will see you and come to your aid. Yeah. Right? Well, and I think part of the problem here too is that, you know, when when we find ourselves, for example, in a victim role, and again, this applies very much to the addiction population that we're we're referring to here. Addicts and we've talked about this many times on the program before, but one of the characteristics of those of us who struggle with addiction is because we have been involved in addiction, we lack emotional maturity and coping skills in a lot of ways, mm. right? Around conflict, around dealing with rejection, around a lot of different things. So we are very pain avoidant. It generally yeah. speaking, we we haven't developed out, um, you know, and a resiliency to that the way that you know your average general person would. Those kinds of things, even though they're scary and hard for the average person, for an addict, those are things that we will avoid, whatever the cost. Yeah, and I and I know when I used to hear that, if someone said to me, "Mark, you know that you're emotionally immature," mm -hmm. immediately go to a place of defensiveness, right? Sure. But if you stop and think about that, it's not something that is is intended to criticize. It just defines lack of growth. It's just, yeah, I just I just I don't have the skill set. Yes. Every exactly. time life got tough, I learned. For me, it was when I was like twelve or thirteen years old. I learned when life got really tough and crappy and sucked. I found this addiction outlet that helped me to to self soothe and to medicate and escape and feel better. And once yeah. I discovered that as my go-to place, I stopped maturing in other healthy approaches. There was no need to. There was no need to. I found my solution. Absolutely. Right. So that's all that means is we, we, just, we didn't grow and develop and evolve in certain ways because we had this go-to place.
That's a great clarification. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the, yeah. So, so what happens when we get in situations where we find ourselves in conflict between all the factors we've talked about already and, and the other piece to this, that's important because we're going to talk about this in the solution, because we also struggle with a, with a sense of mindfulness, meaning that we also already struggle to figure out what we're feeling and why, Mm. when you start to see it through that lens between all these factors, what happens oftentimes with guys who struggle with the dynamic that's being described by this listener is they become immediately emotionally just overwhelmed. They are completely swamped. They're flooded Ugh. and they don't know what to do with it. Yep. And so they, and so they, so between the shame and everything else and the lack of understanding of even what they're feeling to begin with, what happens? They immediately go to that place of just turning off, shutting down, going to shame. And it becomes very difficult to move out of that place unless they're willing to take certain steps. And I like that you said we. It's hard to admit, but it was this case for me. I had no, I had no skills that had been taught to me, or I had practiced about sitting with my emotions, sitting in my feelings, identifying what they were. Why am I? What am I feeling, and why? Nobody showed me that. I didn't know how to do it. So if it would start to come on, I would become overwhelmed quickly. Yes. I just had no resiliency to it. It's it's like having a, a an emotional cup that's full, and now an, an extra drop gets added, and it's overflowing. Yep. You're just like, I, oh, I can't it process down. it. I don't have no. the skill set. I don't have the skill set or the knowledge base to literally process what is going on for me mm -hmm. because I did not learn those things. No. Right. And so hopefully that feels validating to those who struggle with this. However, we want it to be validating, but not coming at the cost of becoming enabling because it is something that can and absolutely needs to change. If a relationship is to grow, because a relationship like the one that is described here, again, conflict and being able to navigate it is essential for a relationship to, to move forward and to evolve. Relationships in a best case scenario will hit a really firm glass ceiling that cannot navigate conflict. And that's best case. Worst yeah. case, they will fail. If it just stays in a conflict avoidance and shutting down, it's going to go one of two places. The relationship will end or it'll just go to a place of indifference. Just get stuck. And you just get stuck. Yeah, we we just we're we're just we we go along to get along. We're roommates. We're ships that pass in the night, but we don't have anything going on. Yep. Or we just or we end it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, if, watching the time here, we're running out of time. Um, we're gonna we're gonna shift over to what what can we do, right? And we've actually in this case got a couple of different solutions. And so let's talk about for the guy in this scenario, like what 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 needs to happen. And and again, we outside of like outside of like Dare to Connect or or an extended forum, we could never even begin to cover all of this. But but if we were to give a starting point, um, a couple of starting points, there there are a couple of things that this gentleman can do who's struggling here, or any of you who find yourself in a first in, in in that place. The first is is practicing out and utilizing mindfulness techniques and skills. Yeah, um, you can't share what you don't know. And Mark added on to to this when we were producing here this morning. You can't change what you don't or won't see. Mm -hmm. Right. If we don't awareness, emotional awareness, guys, whether it's you're talking about overcoming the addiction itself or whether you or whether we're talking about deepening the relationship and connection with your marriage, mindfulness is your first line of defense. That's why we talk about it on this podcast all, pr pretty much every week. There are probably those of you out there who make a drinking game out of when do Mark and Steve either say mindfulness or Mark says intimacy and intimacy you see, or there's a couple of other key <laughs> phrases we use all the time. But, but but there's a reason for that, right? Because that mindfulness is is key. If I don't know what's going on inside of me, I cannot share that with anyone, right? So I have to be developing that, that out. And that 
happens through through many ways. Journaling, going to groups and sharing with other people, practicing opening your mouth and 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 getting real with people, right? People that that you're close to or people that are safe. Um, being able, you know, spending the time to sit and contemplate with oneself. You know, what is I, I feel frustrated right now, or or not even a negative emotion. I feel happy. Why? Yeah. What is that? Where is that coming from? Right? Yeah. Where, where where what's the source of that? Yeah, daring to be self-introspective, right? Which that was another thing I would avoid. I wouldn't only avoid connecting with others, I would avoid connecting with myself. Mm. Yeah. It was just so painful and just so hard, right? Becoming and and the other thing when Steve says practice this mindfulness, mm-hmm. please don't start with massive crisis events. What I see, what we see in marriages, is that couples will try to practice this mindfulness and coming together with collaborative conflict when things are absolutely at a crisis. Our marriage is hanging by a thread. Let's yeah. try this brand new technique and let's use that and see how we do. Yeah, the nuclear bombs have been dropped. The mushroom clouds can be seen. What do we do? <laughs> it's like, yes. no, let's start practicing when you notice a little teeny skirmish. Yeah. Right. So, so you start with the small, start with the less scary, start with the less risky as you start to explore mindfulness in your emotions. Guys, a great one for all of you who are struggling with this, start with some support groups like a like an essay group online where you can be anonymous. You don't need to use your real name. And you can just begin to dip your toe in the water and share with other guys, for example, even through phone calls or online online groups where you know you're your marshmallow man instead of your real name. And yeah. you start there. But, Absolutely. But you start. Yep. So practice in mindfulness. Okay. Um doing those both of those things really the guys there's the, the clinical term for that is immersion therapy, but oh, and yeah. some, on some level, the only way to do it is to get out there and try it on some yes. levels, right? Uh, solutions for her as we mm. wrap up here. So this is important to talk about. So there are some similarities uh, as with the guy, as with the, uh, the, the, the addict side of this equation, transparency and vulnerability and leading with feelings in, 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 in uh, discussions is still important because you're not going to, you're not going to get out of these dysfunctional, less vulnerable ways of communicating or, or help the situation by engaging in the same on your end. So it's important to remain in those places of staying transparent, staying vulnerable and leading out with vulnerable feelings. But the key here also is to hold him using boundaries, healthily accountable, right? In a loving way, being able to say, you know what, when you do this or when you go down this road or when we get stuck in this pattern, I love you and I care about you, but I'm also not going to hold back. And I'm going to very clearly tell you, this is exactly how that impacts me and the relationship. Yeah. Yep. And what what happens when you don't take this approach is very understandably a partner in betrayal trauma when she's not being heard and she sees him go silent and stoic and shut off. The way that she will try to get her needs met is sometimes, for example, to go to anger and and to lash out and rage. You're not hearing me. You're shutting down. So I'm going to get your attention, right? It's it's like, please say something, right? That old song, please say something. I'm dying here. Or or by going to the other side and giving a pass and enabling, right? And just just letting the conversation drop. 
Yep. Let's just drop it hard or it's too lengthy or I don't want to go down that road. And we can, again, connect with the exhaustion behind that. Oh my God. And we can validate that. But nevertheless, if you're looking for a path forward, the way forward is through that accountability piece. It is saying, look, I love you and I care about you, but you need to know, I mean, we can only go this far until this changes and I'm willing to support and help you, but you've got to call you've got to get enrolled in dare to connect or we've got to get you into therapy or we've got to do, we have to do something other than this, which is go down, going down this exact same pattern. I try to bring up something. And if it's remotely difficult, we just shut off that. And when you shut down and you go silent, I feel abandoned. Yes. And I feel alone. And, and here's how it impacts me. Here are my deep feelings about this. And in order for me to start to be authentic, and show up for myself and speak my truth and hold my ground in healthy ways, this can't continue. I'm not willing to continue the relationship like this. And so here are my boundaries and here are the consequences. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, guys, we are we are a little bit even over time from where we typically go. We appreciate you being here with us. Thank you so much for uh, your submissions and your support. We're now in over 170 countries. A few weeks back, we passed half a million downloads. Which, let's be all all be honest, when you're talking about a a, a podcast that focuses strictly on porn, betrayal, and sex, all the non fun parts of sex, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty amazing accomplishment. I think we hit 180 countries actually. Did we? I think There's so. Only like 196. So we're we're, we're up there. <laughs> you got to know that like half a dozen of those probably change hands. Like a week, so yes, we're pretty up there, right? So, all that being said, uh, we just we really love and appreciate you. We do hope that you'll take the plunge. Please come join us. Help us take help help us help you. We're going to Jerry Maguire you. Help us help you take your recovery to the next level, wherever you are at, whether it's a maintenance stage, brand new in the process. We have been there. We can get you out of it. Uh, you can find more information on on the Dare to Connect program and all that has to offer, as well as the, the two week trial at Dare to Connect Now and if you would like to have topics briefly addressed here on the podcast, as always, uh, we're on a, we're well into our third year now on the podcast. Grateful to be with you each week doing that. You can send those to us. There's a contact form at the bottom of the page at pbscpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you there. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, hope you all have a good week. And we will pick things back up uh, in our next episode at PBSC. Take care, everybody. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.